0: Lance reached a gloved hand to the closest person's shoulder and tapped them. They didn't move. When Lance grabbed the suit's shoulder and wheeled them around, he saw a horrifying skeletal face glaring back at him. The eyes were wide as the skin of the eyelids had melted away. This is the Apocalypse Theater Podcast with Benjamin Allen. In space, no one can hear you scream. In space, the dead don't need oxygen. In space, nightmares are all that occupy the human mind. Episode 17 Nightmare, Aboard the Eternity Good work on those last two halls. We might have to consider a profit-sharing program if you keep bringing me cores like this. Gordon's projected holographic face spoke from the computer terminal as Lance reclined in his leather captain's seat aboard his flea-class freighter. Gordon was the owner of Sherman's Recon Co., the salvage company Lance worked for full-time. Always glad to help, said Lance. I'm supposed to go into cryo for the next six months and head back to Earth so I can see my dad for New Year's. Maybe for the last time, the way all the space travel is going. I noticed another distress signal a few minutes before I called you. Is it overzealous of me to grab another haul before coming back? How far out is it? Gordon asked. Looks like a 14-hour detour. Lance pursed his lips as he scanned the hollow panel of potential distress signals on the other terminal. That's nothing, Gordon scoffed. But if you have a schedule to keep with your dad, then keep it. We'll let that one go. I think it'll be fine, assuming I can get in and shut it down, Lance said as he selected options in the air within the projection that navigated smoothly in and out of programs. It looks like the Eternity Research Center. Damn, RCs have the most expensive quad cores because they can't risk any failures. I'll pay you extra to go get it. Like I said, though, go see your dad if it's more important, Gordon said. Lance looked at the highlighted eternity symbol, having a bad feeling about it. No one flagged a distress signal unless it was absolutely necessary. What madness could have ensued for the research center's chief executive officer to bail on a multi-trillion dollar facility that was built to withstand the vacuum of space? The potential danger could be limitless, but 14 hours out, he was probably the first one to get the signal. Other pilots would pounce quickly. He had maybe a three-day head start before someone else might arrive. I'll at least check it out, Lance said, setting the course reroute to the Eternity's location. Keep me posted, Gordon nodded before his holographic face disappeared from the panel. Lance played a few games and took a six-hour rest while waiting for the ship to reach its destination. It wasn't hard for him to stay busy since boredom was the first thing they needed to eliminate when first sending humans on long space voyages. The ship's onboard AI would handle most of all the repairs that might need to be addressed along the way. Everything inside and out was covered mechanically. He just needed to be the brain to point the machine toward whatever destiny he had in mind for it. On most journeys that will require more than 12 hours, the computer would suggest going into cryo for the duration of that time. Normally, Lance would have opted for that, but he always felt groggy when waking up from cryo even if the negative effects of cryogenic sleep were supposed to have been eliminated decades prior. He needed to be on his game when he arrived in case someone else had already found the research center. It wasn't the cryogenic sleep that made him groggy this time. It was being craned over the hollow terminal playing strategy games instead of getting a tight eight hours of rest that made him wake up in a lethargic daze. That didn't last very long because he was approaching the research center that looked like it had been the set of a war zone. The research facility was a large, globular construct with multiple decks that were gone or exposed to the vacuum of space. Debris from the facility was scattered through the space around the suspended aluminum ornament. Mixed with the panels and metal decking that hovered through the dead of night, frozen bodies by the hundreds were rotating and spinning like horrified statues. They were captured in their most nightmarish and gruesome moment, twisting and screaming silently for breath that would never come. Lance would need the spacesuit for this one. He hailed the facility multiple times, but no one answered. This is Lance Hunter, captain of the starship Lexington. Do you read me? are there any survivors? He waited and repeated the message three times as was part of the courtesy process before barging in. Most people likely escaped on their ships or on escape pods. Lance assumed that was the case until he saw that the cargo and launch bays were packed. He drifted by the massive open hangar doors to see, through the purple cargo bay force field designed to keep the air from escaping through the massive openings, almost every landing space was occupied. That was odd. No one had tried to escape? no one could return his hail? He made sure he was on a public channel. Even the crew aboard the individual ships that were there to resupply at the facility, even they couldn't respond to a public query? He wondered if something from within was jamming the signal. The idea that no one could reply, of the tens of thousands of people clearly within the facility, seemed impossible. Since the door was wide open, Lance decided to secure one of the last open spots in the hangar. He set his F-Class Rampart's flea-model spacecraft down gently between two ships that were bigger on the highest floor of the hangar. He announced himself publicly to the drop zone coordinator, who seemed to be as absent as everyone else. When no one gave him any confirmation, he powered down his ship and pushed up from his captain's seat. Lance pulled on his away suit, zipping it up before pressing the rectangular torso-sized fabric cover to the Velco strips on his shoulder and hip to hide the zipper. He always thought the current spacesuit looked like a lame admiral's uniform. The natural color was white so people could see you against the backdrop of space, but Lance had gotten his in space gray. A bad feeling is a lousy thing to have. Lance grabbed his black Technora gun belt and wrapped it about his waist, clipping the magnetic clip where one's belt buckle would normally be. Sliding a new magazine into the grip of his forty-four Axum pistol, he shoved the weapon into the belt's holster. The gun was modded with the additional custom weight down the length of the piece to suppress the recoil for faster shooting. He snapped three additional magazines to the magnet strip on the belt's right hip. He glanced at his Vinkle assault rifle hanging by the blast doors and spent about 15 seconds considering the level of danger he might face. At first, he thought about leaving it. Having the additional weight of the weapon might slow him down on what should be a relatively basic shutdown procedure. The curiosity of how everyone who owned these ships had mysteriously vanished is what made Lance place his hand on the stock of the vincle to take it from its slot on the wall. Loading up the vinkel with brass death, he carried the rifle across his front before palming the button to open the blast doors to the ship. Lance viewed the vacant hangar before him as he descended the ramp to the cold steel of the research facility. The first thing he noticed was how quiet the hangar was. Lance had never been to a hangar that was being constructed, but he imagined this is what one sounded like when the construction crew wasn't on site. He could hear the hum of the force field wall and the life support system pumping air into the facility. That was it. Usually, one could at least hear the sounds of technicians clinking under ships, loaders slamming storage containers on or off vessels, and ship crews disembarking hurriedly for their objective destinations. It was unnaturally silent in this hangar. Lance walked down the aisle of ships that belonged to a wide array of people. There were a few military vessels, some business-class freighters, but mostly personal vehicles. Several generations prior, these kinds of machines were simple cars that the family loaded up and traveled across the country on Earth within. It would take days when nowadays one could book a flight to the opposite side of the Earth in less than ten minutes. It usually took longer to pack and board the ship than it did to actually arrive at one's destination. He noticed a refuel station and rest stop, along with a shopping mall wing of the facility, which explained why there were so many types of ships here. Lance pulled up his DOT, or Digital Optimizational Touchpoint so he could calculate from the video he'd taken on the ship where the damage was to the facility. He most likely wouldn't even be able to pass through that wing so the computer could conserve life support on the undamaged parts of the ship. Based on his video, that was the triple right triangle area. He checked a rough map his ship AI had made of the location and saw that he was on the opposite side of the sphere to where the damage was. The doors to the residential quarters were locked. There were color-coded bars along the walls showing where to go to reach whatever destination one might be looking to find. Everything was too quiet as Lance walked through the vacant gift shop that was attached to the refuel station and rest stop. Racks of postcards, shelves of shot glasses, and merchandise with the facility's logo on it lined the aisle. There were kiosks of overpriced hoodies and t-shirts on racks throughout the rest of the gift shop. He saw no one and heard nothing as he continued through the dimly lit rest stop. The corridor leading beyond a row of restrooms was open to the vast midsection of the sphere. A large, open ceiling carried the perpetual echo of running water that floated between the platforms leading to the different quadrants of the facility. On the ground floor, amidst a nexus of large ornate stone stairways leading to upper decks and corridors, multiple layers of cafeteria seating preceded the many restaurants and bars lining the far wall. The restaurants were empty and the seats vacant. Lance couldn't understand how a place could be so empty. Even if everything was shut down, there would still be people. His DOT reported that the air was breathable, which meant the life support system was working. It also meant that the decks that had been compromised by the breach had been successfully sealed off. Lance kept his suit on in case there might be some airborne contagion. He doubted it, but he was in a mysteriously uninhabited research center. He searched for a terminal and grew irritated because there wasn't one readily available. On a normal ship, there were terminals everywhere so one could have ease of access at any time to adjust or monitor ship controls. Since the Eternity was half research center, half tourist destination, the facility's designers wanted to limit how much access the average patron might have to the ship's subsystems. He mostly needed to get to the computer so he could shut down the distress signal. After that, he could take his time and find out what happened here, if he even needed to. Lance noticed an office beyond a passage behind the restaurants and was about to go through when he noticed movement and dropped low behind a table, moving his aim to the left. Lance's rifle barrel lined with a figure in a spacesuit outside. Beyond a thick pane of glass, there was a large exterior plaza with a vast model of the spherical research facility standing in the middle of it. He relaxed a little, lowering the gun as he rounded a column to see that there were three people in spacesuits milling about in the plaza. All three of them didn't seem in a hurry to get anywhere. Afternoon, fellas. Lance spoke over the general channel that all spacesuits were required to broadcast for safety purposes. They still didn't reply. He wondered if it was something wrong with his equipment. Maybe his microphone was on mute. It wasn't. There was no reason for the men to ignore him. Lance decided to investigate further. He found the vacuum corridor leading to the outside, stepped through the many barriers, and felt the near weightlessness of being outside. The external gravity was set to 70% of normal gravity, probably so that the loaders could move storage containers with better ease. Why fight gravity if you don't need to? Descending the steps, Lance approached the three figures whose backs were turned as they stood there. Even their standing there was strange. They seemed immobile and yet they were moving a little. Every now and then they'd raise their arms or take a single step, but it wasn't right. Lance reached a gloved hand at the closest person's shoulder and tapped them. They didn't move. When Lance grabbed the suit's shoulder and wheeled them around, he saw a horrifying skeletal face glaring back at him. The eyes were wide as the skin of the eyelids had melted away. The full grin of skinless teeth yawned as the suit's arms grappled with Lance. His heart had seized in his chest from the sheer shock of the situation. Lance took a step back, then smashed the butt of his rifle across the skull of the figure. The visor of the helmet filled with yellow goo and what looked like maggots as the suit's arms dropped with the sagging, lifeless form. The two other suits tried to turn, but couldn't. Lance looked down to see their boots and realized that they didn't know how to operate the magnets on the soles of their shoes that were made to keep people from floating off into space in zero gravity. The two faces gave a soundless growl as they craned to turn around. One's arms raised as if they were trying to grab for him, the gloves outstretched desperately. Lance retreated back into the facility and sat down at one of the cafeteria tables, breathing heavily. His heart was pounding in his chest. He paused to look at his gloved hand. It was shaking. He clenched his hand closed and turned to the passage that stood between the chicken booth and the cheesy fake pizzeria shouldered against it. A sound met his ears. It sounded like an old-school telephone ringing. To Lance's horror, at least two dozen people came staggering down the steps from different corridors of the building. None of them looked right. They all seemed to be afflicted with the same aimless wandering that had taken those in the spacesuits. Lance could see that all of the eyes bugged from their eye sockets as skin dripped from their faces. Five others emerged from under the tables where they'd been hiding. Some of them wore loader uniforms, while others wore casual tourist clothes. They all groaned and staggered stiffly in his direction. Lance swore, directing his aim at all of them and none of them. He hurried for the corridor before the mob of reaching, claw-like fingers belonging to hungry, decrepit faces could reach him. The phone was still ringing, getting louder as Lance made his way to an office door with a keypad on the outside. The sudden, horrific, melted face of the security officer within appeared in the five-inch-wide by two-foot-tall glass window in the door. Lance could hear the figure growling within as his passage back was suddenly blocked. The man began banging on the door aggressively. The light in the hall flickered as a horde of staggering, skeletal expressions continued their slow but sure pursuit. Lance looked the door up and down, considering whether it would be worth the risk to himself of shooting the door lock in closed quarters, lose the ammunition by mowing down the zombified citizens of the research facility, or to keep running through to the next part of the ship. Before he could make the decision, while the security guard within was thrashing against the door, he must have mashed the keycard dangling from its fob clipped to his pocket as the door suddenly swung open to the rabid turned security guard that was gnashing his teeth disgustingly at Lance with his arms outstretched. Lance grabbed the security guard by his shirt front and swung him three-quarters of a circle around within the hall and shoved him into the group of growling threats before slamming the door closed with himself inside the room. While he had executed this random act of finesse, he was able to lift the security guard's keycard in the process. That would help him move through the ship without restriction. Lance breathed a sigh of relief in the silence until the loud telephone ringer made him jump. He turned around to see a red telephone on the desk. There were dozens of buttons across the face of it above the number pad. Lance didn't think it necessary to figure them out, so he just hit the speaker button next to the blinking red Line 1 label. Lance activated his suit's speaker function through his DOT. Hello? His voice was projected from the speakers that were built around the visor of the suit. Hello? Who is this? A young woman's voice issued from the phone speaker. Good morning, I'm Lance Hunter of the Starship Lexington. Lance said. Thank God, you sound like military. Send your guys in, but you'll need to take the spacewalk in order to get to this side of the facility. There's infected everywhere, so you'll need to move carefully. I'm not military, ma'am, said Lance. I'm a salvager, and I'm here to shut down the distress signal. Wait, you're not here to help? You just want to scrap our facility? Who the hell do you think you are? I already told you who I am, and you still haven't told me who you are. Lance glanced over his shoulder as the animated corpses began banging angrily on the door. Listen, I can get you out of here, but you'll need to help me. That will start by cutting through the bullshit and realizing that there's nothing you can do to save this place. Just be glad I'm not a band of raiders, who, by the way, are definitely en route as we speak. So long as that distress signal is on, both of us are in danger. The person on the other end sighed. You're probably right. My name is Emily Larson. I'm the head of the Facility Research Center. There was an accident. I can explain everything later, but you're much more likely to reach the control center than me. Where are you? Lance asked. I'm in the biology department of the medical bay, said Emily. And there's no way I can access the control center through any terminal or DOT? Only the operations crew can access the control center, but you should be able to get in with base-level security clearance. On the other hand, if it's locked, you might have to get creative. How many people aboard the ship might be infected? Lance squinted as he stared at the desktop. There was a long pause where Emily didn't say anything. She sighed at last. Everyone on board without a spacesuit or oxygen supply separate from that of the life support system. And how many people do you think were on the Eternity when this event took place? Tens of thousands, maybe? Emily spoke through a voice that seemed small and uncertain. She probably spent most of her time in the biology department and rarely ventured to other parts of the facility. Most of the eggheads Lance had known were like that. I'm going to add you to my DOT, and then how about you walk me through this place while you tell me what the actual crap is going on? Lance was able to sync his DOT username with Emily's. His advanced hacker's VPN cracked her Lyssa firewall without allowing the all-powerful Lyssa to track him through Emily's DOT. Once the two were connected, Lance hung up the phone and pulled up his DOT, connecting the audio through his suit's internal microphone and speaker. He started an audio session with Emily Larson. Better? Emily asked as Lance turned to the door where the horde of zombies had gotten bored of him, but were still milling around in the corridor outside. Much. He cracked the door, tossed a five-second grenade down the hall, and watched it skip between the legs of the walking corpses. They all turned and made for the beeping, blinking device that accelerated in flashing and beeping up to the point of its explosion. The half of them that weren't turned to mucus from the blast continued toward the sound as Lance slipped into the corridor behind them. He hurried into another large chamber that led to the different apartments. How do I get to the spacewalk you were talking about? Lance asked. With a good portion of the facility gone, the safest way I can think would be to go up the escalator in the mall section of the station. It probably won't be working, but you should be able to use it. Lance navigated left down the long, comfortably low-lit hallways, passing a restroom as he followed the endless orange line along the wall leading him to the Latte Value Center. Signs perpetually filled the line as he continued down the corridor. They read, Savings just around the corner. You're almost to great value. And keep going, your wallet will thank you." Lance surveyed a blood spray across the wall above a fallen security guard who looked to have been half-consumed from the little meat remaining on the bones of his carcass. Lance grabbed the stun pistol from the ground next to the fallen man's outstretched hand. It couldn't possibly have stopped a horde of lifeless, hungry corpses. Once you get to the top floor of the mall, you should be able to access the spacewalk that wraps around the facility and reach the main hall leading to the bridge, Emily said through the speaker in his suit. Lance had wanted to ask her more questions but needed to keep his guard up. The moment he met the mouth of the corridor where it opened to the large, multi-storied shopping mall, Lance quietly tucked himself to the wall and took a deep breath. There were hundreds of the lingering dead milling around the bottom floor of the shopping center. Both up and down escalators were packed with men and women who'd been trying to escape but were turned from whatever had been released into the air of this place. They were jammed in place by the collective mass of all the others. The second and third floors looked to be just as busy as the bottom level. Beneath the shuffling feet of the living dead, the blood and innards of the fallen had formed a dark red mucus sludge that probably smelled rancid. I think the escalator is out, whispered Lance. Any other way to the top? There's an elevator in the Macy's for people in wheelchairs, Emily said. I can't be certain the elevator is on the emergency power list or not. You might have to get creative, Lance interrupted. Gotcha. He leaned forward just enough to look around the corner to see the Macy's sign on the opposite side of the bottom floor. The steadily swaying skulls and skeletal craniums of the zombies blocked his sight all the way to his new destination. Lance leaned back against the wall as a trio of restless roamers shuffled to nowhere in particular past his position. They didn't notice him, but getting past them wasn't going to be easy. Do you remember exactly where the elevator is? he asked. I think it's on the right, down the main avenue through the perfume and kids' toy section of the store. I might be able to help more if you give me access to your suit's visuals. Lance went through his DOT and granted Emily access. This is only temporary. Of course. Lance considered his options. There was the shooting and explosions route. He could tie a bunch of corpses around his middle and act like one of them, but there was no guarantee it would work. And then there was the route he took, which caused Emily to gasp as he moved. Without thinking, Lance pushed off the wall and ran through a wide gap that took him in a circle underneath the escalator. All around him, grunts and yowls of outrage from the dead sparked with a second delay before the zombies could snatch for him. Lance was already gone, though, jogging through the empty skeletal expressions that consumed the faces of the undead. The plan seemed to be working, until he passed out from under the shadow of the escalator. That's when he realized that they were all trained toward him, the entire horde of them with their arms raised hungrily. They groped forward as Lance ran as fast as he could for the vacant wall opposite to where he'd entered. Closed jewelry stores, video game centers, and boutiques filled his left peripheral vision while a closing-in surge of raised, rotting arms filled his right. Lance slipped into the Macy's, inches away from the countless sets of clawing, outstretched fingers. An eerie bass seemed to thrum through the store from the movement of many feet along with the unsettling groaning of the patrons. Lance cut right. No left! Emily yelled. You said right! Lance corrected his course, circling through the men's shoes aisle to avoid the flood of hungry dead. Their eyes only saw Lance. They upturned clothes racks, kiosks of varying old phone chargers, and got jammed in the clothes aisles. He jogged down the main path, smashing the butt of his rifle through the cranium of a civilian undead that stepped into his path. The way back was completely clogged with the vile-smelling mob. Hope this elevator works. It should, Emily said. It's usually pretty reliable. Lance ran past a customer service representative that had gone to sleep behind the counter and never did wake up. When she opened her eyes to the sound of Lance's rubber boots squeaking down the corridor, she dropped her skeletal jaw with a hiss, the flesh of her skin dangling from her face. Lance raced past her without her even being able to get up from her chair. He stopped at the elevator as the white fluorescent lights in the corridor flickered overhead. Pressing the button over and over, Lance looked left to see the hallway choked with a mass of zombified human beings. It was truly the sight of nightmares as the elevator dinged open ahead of him. At least six undead grumbled about the elevator that was large enough for even the biggest of wheelchair accessory vehicles. Grabbing the front two by their shirt fronts, Lance heaved them down the hall toward the oncoming mass of rancid dead bodies. They bumped and slipped into one another, collapsing to become an obstacle to the first line of dead. The next two came clawing from the elevator. Lance broke the skull of one as the other grappled his arm, its mouth open to bring its jaws down upon him. Pushing off the threshold of the elevator, Lance smashed into the three remaining within, thwarting the plans of the zombie clinging to his arm as he pressed a boot into the up button. The elevator doors began to close as the sea of groaning undead swarmed through his limited sight within the passage ahead. Lance elbowed the thrashing zombies in the face, moving himself ahead so that he could whip around and finish them off with the butt of his rifle. You brought the rifle, why don't you use it? Emily asked as Lance pressed his hands to his knees, breathing heavily. Couple of reasons. Lance caught his breath. His heart was hammering wildly in his chest as the elevator dinged open to a mostly vacant second floor of the Macy's. A few startled undead turned their attention for him. Main reason is that I didn't want to fire a bullet in an enclosed space for risk of it bouncing off something. It also could have destroyed the elevator somehow, not to mention there are more of them than I have ammunition. Fair enough, Emily said. Besides, I'm saving my ammunition for when I really need it. Lance planted his boot through the cranium of a zombie before ducking under the reaching grasp of another. He fluidly grabbed a coat and tossed it at the feet of the second attacker where it slipped and became wrapped in itself. Lance exited the Macy's on the second floor over the churning ocean of undead. They saw him and tried to reach for him, but the escalator was so tightly packed that only the ones at the top could free themselves. "'The spacewalk is around the corner,' said Emily. "'You should be able to get into the bridge from there, but I don't know how many of them will be in your way.' Since I have you here, said Lance as he made his way around the second floor, why don't you explain to me what happened? He shoved a group of three groaning dead off the balcony, ignoring the resulting splatter below. It was a mistake, Emily said. It was actually my partner's mistake. He accidentally contaminated the air filter by rerouting an exhaust fume through life support. I don't even know how that would be possible. Lance entered the avenue leading to the spacewalk where a large mass of undead had been slaughtered. The number of corpses he had to step over increased dramatically the closer he drew to the airlock. Something shut off the primary and secondary exhaust vents. Seems like a simple fix, right? We didn't know what was happening until a big chunk of the facility exploded. Once we figured out it was an exhaust issue, we had to reroute the exhaust somewhere or else more of the facility would be destroyed. So you routed it through life support? Lance asked, incredulous. It was that or lose the facility and everyone, Emily said. I announced over every available channel for everyone to put on their spacesuits because a high amount of radiation would be flooding the decks of the facility. I think a lot of people listened, but the ones that couldn't became violent and turned on the others. Other than you, is anyone left? Lance asked. There was a long pause. I don't think so. That means the bridge is probably overrun. Lance sighed. Yup, said Emily. There's definitely more going on, I'm just not in the position to figure it out. Why aren't you connected to the Lyssa network? Because I don't trust Lyssa. She and I can work with one another if we have to, but I don't like her knowing precisely what I'm up to. You know she probably knows what you're up to anyway? Emily asked. Sure, but she's not in my head, you know? Lance said. But I am, Emily said. Yeah, so I can get you out of this mess. Lance gripped the airlock wheel and unrolled it. As he did this, the door behind him closed so it could vacuum-seal the tube between him and the outside. The airlock door opened to dozens of figures in spacesuits standing on the metal walk that rounded the exterior of the facility. Lance slowly walked past them. I was planning to wait for the undead to eventually run out of bodily nutrients and die. After that, I was going to make for one of those ships at the dock so I could get out of here. Other than convenience, I really didn't need saving. Lance was halfway across the spacewalk when six massive freighters suddenly appeared in full view within the spatial sphere that surrounded the Eternity facility. They slowly drifted around, making for the dock. Lance wasn't sure, but the red paint splattered across the noses of the vehicles didn't look very much like paint, All of the vessels had the same splashes of red over the exterior of their vehicles. They were part of a gang, and gangs had little reason to do nice things to people in distress. This is Commander Timothy Krause, reporting across all channels. We have your building surrounded. Turn off your distress signal, lay down your arms, and prepare to be boarded. Emily swore. You were saying? Lance continued toward the airlock ahead. I repeat, this is Commander Timothy Krause, reporting across all channels. If I do not receive a response, my team will use excessive force upon entry. Do not test us. Noisy bitch, isn't he? Lance cranked the wheel on the door, seeing through the window slit, the door on the opposite side of the vacuum tube closed so it could seal for his entry. This is your final warning. We will take no prisoners going forward. Krause spoke matter-of-factly. He didn't seem altogether concerned that there was no response. Since he was here, he had obviously scavenged plenty of ships that were non-responsive. His hostile approach was one that was familiar in military and former military commanders. If they could clear the air and zombies of this place, it would make for a perfect base of operations for both gang or military. So if you don't need help, I can turn around and go back now, Lance said facetiously. I'll probably have to face them anyway, but if you're good, I'll just bargain my way out and let them shut this thing down. You've made your point, Lance. I'm sorry, Emily said. Once you're done there, I'd appreciate it if you could escort me away from this place, and them. I'd be much obliged to assist. Lance continued to the next part of the ship. There was a main hallway continuing toward the part of the facility that was gone. The large blast doors to that area was sealed off to prevent the oxygen's escape. Opposite to the exit was another route leading to the bridge. Lance followed it and passed through several doors, only to enter a vast multi-layered bridge that was full of undead that were milling amidst the rancid, rotting bodies of the officers who'd been at the helm when the event took place. At least 50 zombified crewmen roamed the many floors like the spirits of a haunted skeleton crew aboard an old ghost ship. Lance noticed that though they didn't have an objective, most of them seemed to be moving at a steady enough motion. Lance shifted his feet lethargically against the protests of Emily. He saw the craniums of the zombies growing closer as he baby-stepped down the corridor. Without the undead being any wiser, Lance fluidly merged with their traffic. He swung his arms side to side with his motion, hanging at a crooked slant that made him look convincing in his motions. He was halfway up the ramp to the control room and surrounded by roaming skeletal corpses when Commander Krauss crackled over his inner speakers. You bastards. Those were fine men who just went mad out there. I know you're watching, I'll find you, and I'll make you pay for what you've done. Lance put two and two together and figured that Krauss had sent a patrol group out without wearing spacesuits. Now they were zombies like the crewmen who were crowding the decks of the bridge next to Lance. Some of his compatriots seemed to notice the sound of Krause's voice. The motion of moving continually up the ramp seemed to distract everyone back to their nameless objective. He broke away at the top floor, stalking down the main corridor for the control room where he could see the manual controls as well as the blinking red distress signal light on the terminal. Lance kept up his movement in a slow, staggering behavior as he felt his heart hammering in his chest. He hungered to move faster, but he maintained the facade. At last, he towered over the control panel. Lance looked over his shoulder slowly to see that none of the other zombies had followed him, but they also hadn't taken notice of his absence. You're lucky that worked, Emily breathed a sigh of relief. "'Yeah, it only costs me my advantage over Kraus," said Lance. "'Do you think he will be as careful as me?' "'Doubtful,' Emily said. "'Okay, help me figure this out. "'I don't have the access codes to shut down the distress signal.' "'I only know the medical codes,' said Emily. "'The operational codes are different. "'It's fine. "'They have a backdoor entrance I can use that should give me limited access to the subsystem, "'and the distress signal should be part of the subsystem. "'I just have to figure out the stupid base password.' Lance looked up at the flat screen and down at the keyboard, licking his lips as he typed. He checked over his shoulder and saw the stream of undead continuing in their movements without noticing him. He hadn't wanted to, but he had to connect his DOT to the terminal so that he could run one of his hacking programs. The program was annoying because it played a game of hangman with him. No one likes hangman, especially when you're under pressure more often than not when trying to hack one of these things. He fiddled with the program glowing from his palm. A? We have an A? 1A at the beginning. Let's mix that up with an O, Lance whispered. Yes, we have an O, and E, two E's. Atmosphere, Emily said while viewing his progress on the game. That was our password like two passwords ago. Lance tried it and watched the terminal open to the base subsystems. He looked over his shoulder in time to see the entirety of the zombie bridge lurching toward him. They had just reached the doorway which was about four feet from the control room where he stood. Lance swallowed hard, swiping through to the gravity. Before the undead could reach him, Lance rolled the gravity knob to zero. Every humanoid or object on the Eternity that wasn't magnetized to the ground was released from its connection to the floor and suspended in mid-air. He quickly deactivated the distress signal and downloaded a map to his DOT before closing out the program. He rolled the gravity back to 9.8, or 100%, allowing everything that was suspended in mid-air to fall to the floor. Okay, now I know you're here. Why don't you cut the shit and tell me who you are? Krauss spoke across the channels. Irritated, Lance changed his audio settings to allow him to communicate across all channels. Stakes claimed, Krause. Why don't you cut your losses and get out of here before you get roughed up? He continued out of the control room to the bridge where all the zombies he'd been trying to avoid earlier were crawling around helplessly. My heat signature shows that other than my freighters, your freighter is the only one that's been active in the last six hours, said Kraus. I know that even if you have three or four men, you still don't have as many as I do. Also, FYI, we just loaded up your ship and every other bumblebee and below-class freighter from the hangar, so you don't have a ship to come back to. Ignore him, whispered Emily. In the background, Lance could hear the familiar banging that meant the undead had likely found her. I have reason to believe that my position might be compromised. You should probably find a way to bargain with them and get off the ship. Leaving the bridge and entering the tube for the spacewalk, Lance switched back over to their private channel. Where are you, Emily? Too far away for it to matter. You need to get out of here, Emily said matter-of-factly. Where. Are. You. Lance spoke lowly. I'm in the medical bay. It's at least a 30-minute run from you. I'm sorry. I won't be able to talk anymore. She cut the audio feed. Damn. Lance continued down the spacewalk. He checked the interactive map on his DOT as he made for the blast door at the end of the metal walkway that allowed travelers to see out to the nothing of space. Entering the tube, Lance rolled the wheel to close the door behind him so the vacuum tube could decompress. He stepped back into the corridor and broke into a run. Lance wove around several hungry roamers and reached the far wall. It wasn't a normal wall, but it had a large red line across it. He pressed into the wall to release the maintenance access tunnel entry. He closed it behind him before the roamers could follow and continued down the passage. He jogged through the tunnel that had limited light until he reached a sort of carport. There were several vehicles parked neatly in the white lines of the parking spots. One was a glorified golf cart that Lance knew couldn't go very fast. The other was a kind of jeep without walls so they could carry six people and tour them around the facility. The last vehicle was a utility cycle, made for a technician to travel quickly to different parts of the station for emergency repairs. Lance picked the utility cycle, using the key card to activate it. The seat glided back as the second wheel rolled to the rear. A pair of handlebars with a brake and accelerator emerged from the electric engine box. It wasn't a cool-looking cycle, but it would get him across the facility in a fraction of the time it would take for him to hoof it through the undead. He set his DOT to hover over his right shoulder with the map in his peripheral vision so he could follow the course chart to the medical bay. The estimated time of arrival was eight minutes, considerably less time than Emily had predicted. He launched into motion, the utility cycle charging through the darkened underground facility down the massive two lane road that curved around the building structure. Crisscrossing beams around the eaves of the structure around him viewed out to the stars of space or the lit windows of the many levels throughout the massive facility. A few undead swam out of the darkness, but Lance zipped around them. He continued at a faster than safe speed, wishing the machine would go beyond its programmed limit. He knew he could easily hack the programming, but even Lance knew that was a recipe for disaster. Ahead, the road seemed to be blotted with darkness until the headlight of his cycle illuminated the hundreds of faces of roaming undead. He slowed the vehicle with the gentle press of the brake. While the passage wasn't secluded only to the road, Lance couldn't see what was off of the two lanes ahead that were currently occupied by animated corpses. There wasn't enough time to contemplate how to move forward, so Lance swung his rifle around and made a hole through the horde of zombies. He continued at a slow 10 miles per hour as he passed through a break in the bodies that were sprawled on the ground. Meanwhile, the roaming corpses lunged for him while he coasted through the gap and out of reach of their clawing fingers. Lance continued, rising in speed as the road cleared of undead. He followed his DOT and parked next to the entrance to the medical bay of the research facility. Scanning his security badge, the door opened to a bloody corridor that was an absolute wreck within. He could hear groaning within the many rooms lining the hall in an eerie chorus that made his hair stand on end. Lance grabbed the truncheon of a fallen undead security guard and began rattling it along the walls of the building. When the walking corpses of the medical officers emerged from their rooms, Lance smashed the stick through their craniums or chucked them into the sharp corners of office doorways. He tried to make as much noise as possible as he kicked through the carts of supplies and oxygen tanks that were strewn throughout the corridors. He was suddenly surrounded by more of the undead than he could reasonably kill with the useless baton. He withdrew his forty-four Axum pistol and ended four of the staggering assailants before stepping over their corpses to get away from the other grappling roamers. The elevator at the end of the hall was gone, so he followed the stairwell next to it. He ascended three floors higher and exited into a corridor that had three dark figures lingering in the single flickering light of the passage. Lance shoved a card into the first figure, knocking it down, rammed it into the second, and shoved past the third. "'Emily!' he yelled. Looking at his pistol, he knew that she would be able to hear him coming if he made enough noise. He aimed at the skulls of every facility officer that emerged from their many labs and offices who looked undead. Once he'd spent twelve bullets, he dropped the clip and loaded another one in the chamber of the pistol. When Lance turned the corner, he saw a crowd of walking corpses filing into a room at the end of the hall. Lance fired at the only one he could see. It went down as several others drunkenly staggered out of the office with hopes of reaching an additional target. He stepped through an intersection in the hall and hurried forward as an uncountable number of zombies emerged from both darkened hallways for him. Lance kicked through a corpse with a lab coat and pulled three more from within the office. He closed the office door and turned as one of the skeletal beings groaned from the back corner. Lance smashed its head on the edge of the desk and regretted doing so once he saw the disgusting mess it made. A milky pink mush covered the table as a blonde woman with thick, black-rimmed glasses emerged from the cabinet at the back of the office. There were scratches all over the cabinet door where the corpses had tried repeatedly to get her. You weren't supposed to come for me, Emily said. She wore a white spacesuit like that of the undead he had seen on the spacewalk. Let's go, Lance motioned over his shoulder. Behind him, the corridor had filled with undead. They were smearing and scratching their skeletal fingers and skulls against the large glass office window. I need to go to my room in the scientists' living quarters, said Emily. Really? Lance asked. He switched over to the public channels. Hey Kraus, you still there? I sure am, Kraus said. He sounded winded. Why don't you come down to the cafeteria so we can hash out your exit from our new headquarters? Hard to do that without a ship, Lance said. I don't think you'll need one, Kraus said with the sound of a rifle clicking in the background. I'm sure we'll encounter one another soon enough, Kraus, but I don't think it will be on your terms, Lance surveyed the room. I make my own terms. See you soon, Pipsqueak, Kraus said. Lance clicked off the public channel. Can we go back around that way and get downstairs from there? Yes, there's an emergency exit at each of the four corners of the science department. Good, be ready to run, Lance said, ignoring the curious look on Emily's face. He ripped one of the doors off the cabinet she had been hiding in. Turning, he kicked the door handle and slid into the hall corridor. The dead groaned as they grappled over the wooden door Lance used to hold the putrid horde back. They reached fruitlessly toward him as he pressed the flat end into them with all his strength and weight. Using his pelvis, he shoved the whole hall of zombies back, knocking the front row into the surge behind it, giving them enough time to flee around the corner where the path was clear. The two jumped the steps in the stairwell, hurrying down to the ground floor. They ducked away from the grasp of the few undead they passed and found the maintenance access tunnel. Maintenance cycle only holds one, so we'll have to take the rover, Lance said. He rounded a large armored maintenance four-wheeler rover that had probably never needed to be used on the Eternity. It wasn't as fast as the cycle, but it was probably safer. The two got inside and started down the path of the scientists' living quarters. They entered a long, metal tube corridor that emptied to a chamber barely large enough for their vehicle to enter. The chamber housed a single door that was locked. Lance got out and swiped the security badge, but the light on the sensor merely flashed red. The small display told him to scan his work order. They didn't want just anyone to have access to the living quarters, so even security needs to have a work order before they can go inside. Emily scanned her scientist's badge. The light on the sensor turned green as a locking mechanism on the door triggered. Lance pulled the latch and they opened the way to the living quarters. Everything should be locked down. No sooner had the words left her mouth did the inhabitants of each room emerge to feast. Lance was able to shove them all down the corridor one after the other with a stiff, broad palm. The craniums of the skeletal undead knocked together like coconuts. The audio in Lance's suit filled as Krauss presumably broadcasted across the channels. He could hear gunfire thrum through the facility as a zombie emerged from one of the rooms to grapple Lance's arm. He tore free and smashed the butt of his gun through the skull of the undead and three others. Lance Hunter, where are you, Lance? Lance stepped back, lined up four of the humanoid undead skulls and took them out in one shot. He and Emily both winced as the round pinged within the narrow metal corridor before coming to rest against the boot of one of the fallen undead. That's why I don't like shooting on spaceships. Lance said loudly over the ringing in their ears. They treaded carefully going forward, clearing each room before continuing down the hall. Once they found Emily's room, she entered alone as Lance waited in the hall. He studied the map of the facility while she gathered her things, figuring out how best to go about getting back to the hangar so they could get out of here. He hadn't yet formulated a plan for dealing with Krauss. Emily left her room with a backpack on the shoulder of her white suit. How good is your aim? Lance asked. Not bad, she shrugged. Pistol's yours. Try not to need it. He handed her his axe and pistol, which she took and made sure was loaded expertly. I know where we can find a bunch of old weapons, said Emily. There's a munition center that requires a passcode. It's not on the map, either. Show me? Lance inquired. The two retraced their steps back to the maintenance access tunnel. Lance drove the rover as fast as it would go through the maintenance channels, speeding through and over undead who rambled into their path. Timothy Kraus felt like he had sent his crew through every part of the facility, including the access tunnels, but Lance and his cohorts were nowhere to be found. Most of the undead citizens had been cleared. Tim had formed a security barrier around Lance's only escape, his flea-class ship, which was currently loaded onto Tim's much larger transport freighter that was docked to the edge of the hangar. It had been six hours since they arrived. Lance could have warned him that there was a dangerous toxin in the air, knowing they had touched down when they did, but he didn't do that and now 13 of Tim's best crewmen were dead. Whether he knew them or not, Lance could have warned him and he didn't. Tim and his men had killed plenty of people for far less, but he wanted personally to put a bullet between the eyes of Lance Hunter for insulting him. Tim carried a rifle across his front. He was donned in a space-gray military fatigue spacesuit and stood at the edge of the barrier he and his men had set up. It had been relatively quiet throughout the hangar until the eight men guarding the freighter dock heard the whining sound of a vehicle. When they turned their attention to the end of the hangar, they saw, far in the distance, the speeding form of a man on the back of the fastest moving maintenance cycle they had ever seen. Raising his rifle to aim, it was almost impossible for Tim to draw a bead on him. The rest of his men raised their rifles and began firing. The man on the cycle fluidly leapt off the back of the cycle and skidded to a halt behind a massive blue storage container stacked 30 yards from their position, but the cycle continued speeding at them impossibly. Lance emerged from behind the containers with his rifle aimed at the cycle that Tim could now see was covered with grenades. Tim didn't have time to do anything. He dove right between the barrier walls as a scorching fireball exploded behind him, sending his men flying in all directions. He heard gunfire as he scrambled back behind the barriers trying to avoid scalding debris. Bill, one of his best pilots, aimed and fired six times at the figure before three of Lance's bullets met their mark on his form, the final ending its brief transit within Bill's brain. Okay, Lance, you've made your point. What do you want? Tim asked over the channels. I want you to unload my ship and then I want you to get the hell out of here. Let's talk about it. A bullet ricocheted inches from his head. All right, but you killed all my guys. It's just me, so I'll need your help unloading the ship. That's a you problem. Get it done, Kraus. Lance ordered. The hangar door to one of Krause's other ships dropped open. Five more people began shooting at Lance. He dropped behind a manifest terminal, continuing to move lowly behind several crates beyond. Scrambling behind a stack of barrels, Lance reloaded another magazine into his rifle. Draping the rifle across his knees, Lance took a deep breath and relaxed his rock-solid shoulders. He closed his eyes and crooked his neck back and forth, relieving the tension there. He willed himself to turn off the emotions, the judgments, the hatred, the anger, and use the mechanics. The body's natural mechanics were far more efficient than the human will behind its actions. When he opened his eyes, there were emotionless slits as he rolled around the corner. His brain caught movement, the way you can stare at a writhing ant pile and see all the movement of the ants in one churning image. His five targets were isolated, one in mid-stride, leading two, three, and four. Five was aiming his precision rifle from the threshold of the ship they had emerged from. He was the most dangerous because he was already ready. Lance's bullet struck him in the throat just as the man began to put pressure on the trigger as his target emerged from cover. The others took a seeming eternity to draw a bead on Lance because he was running almost as fast as he could across the hangar floor. A spray of bullets rattled the spaceship Lance slid behind. The men swore as they reloaded. Ping! Ping! thok One of the men reloading saw the bullet holes in the floor, then saw the bleeding hole in his left bicep. He tried to raise the weapon to the shooter who was firing from above them, but his left arm wouldn't comply. "'Up top!' The injured man called attention to the woman with the pistol firing at them from the catwalk overhead. She ducked into the hangar foreman's office before their bullets could strike her. "'It's just two people!' Tim Kraus cried. "'Cut the stormtrooper aim and kill them!' He picked up one of his fallen men's semi-automatics. The figure of Lance Hunter charged from behind the ship. Ready this time, the men triangulated his movement and nailed him with gunfire. His figure seemed to take the bullets but keep moving. The sound was strange because they heard the metallic pinging of their bullets on the wall beyond his position. Krauss saw the hollow marble rolling across the floor before he swore aloud. It was a kid's toy, a marble that could capture a figure in motion and display the replica of the figure moving within a holographic field directly overhead. The Lance hologram disappeared when the marble struck the opposite wall. Three more marbles skipped across the hangar floor, showing Lance running in different directions across the hangar. The men watched them with their mouths open, unable to figure out which one to shoot. Only one of the holographic Lance doppelgangers stopped and turned to take out two more of Krauss's men, leaving Krauss and one other to take cover behind the barriers that were still smoldering. Lance crouched behind a loading utility vehicle. Still think it's worth it? Lance's voice issued from Krause's communicator. We can wrap this up and you two can still fly out of here. Screw off! Tim yelled. Last chance, Krause. You've lost and you're about to lose your last hand. Take your chips and get out of the casino. Sounds like a solid plan. Tim shut off the communicator and ran to the cover of his ship. Lance peered around the edge of the loader in time to see Tim mash the button to close the blast doors to his ship, which also contained Lance's ship. Lance aimed his rifle at the vessel and fired the last of his magazine as the thrusters powered up. The bullets did nothing. Spaceships were designed to be able to withstand small asteroid impacts, which at nearly a 100,000 miles per hour were basically bullets, Lance swore. The large freighter that was a quarter the size of the gargantuan hangar threshold itself lifted off the ground and slowly lumbered toward the barrier. As Lance stood there, helpless, his ship and escape from this facility drifted away from him. Half of the vessel had passed through the large blue force field that kept the oxygen in and space out when the force field turned red. Krauss's ship came to a sudden halt, suspended in midair. Looking over Lance's shoulder at the catwalk, Emily had her DOT open and connected to the hangar security control panel. Opening his communication across the channels, Lance gave Tim Krause his final ultimatum. For whatever reason, Krauss, you think I want to kill you. I just want my ship back and for you to leave. This is your last warning. You have five minutes. Lance whirled his finger over his shoulder at Emily. She pressed a series of buttons on the DOT before the weapon system that was located on the outside of the hangar doors turned and locked onto the bridge of Krause's freighter. Tim sighed over the communications channel. All right, Hunter, you win. Two minutes later, the back bay doors opened and Krause told him Lance's ship was unlatched. Lance was able to have his ship AI maneuver the ship free from Krause's bay and land it safely on the hangar floor in front of him. What about my other ships? I'll send them out to you, said Lance. Keep the ships you've stolen as compensation for your lost men. Maybe we can have a beer together one day, but for now, I hope we never see one another again. Lance and Emily used the dock equipment to load up Krause's other ships and slowly send them off into space after Krause. They watched them spend the next hour gathering the ships together via their small transport vessels and then they were gone. So what do you do now? Emily asked. Release the quad core and orbit the facility in my ship until Sherman sends his tow out to extract it, Lance answered. How long will that take? Probably a few days, said Lance. There's a guest room on my ship. I don't recommend staying here alone for obvious reasons. If you don't want to stay with me, I'll hail you on an express trip to wherever you need to go after Sherman gets the core. I'm afraid I can't draw any attention to this place until after you've taken it. I don't mind a guest room, so long as I can take off the spacesuit," Emily said. You're not a crazy, are you? I'm pretty toast, he said. Come on, let's go grab some food, change, and rest. All this work has made me sleepy. We'll grab some canned food reserves on our way through the cafeteria. Lance and Emily did just that. Once they had released the Quad Corps and flagged the Eternity for RC Corps pickup, the two boarded Lance's vessel and left the research facility. Seven months later, Gordon Sherman's security messaged Gordon in his office that there was a Trent Hunter on the line for him. Gordon wrapped up his video meeting with the bosses and launched the call from Trent Hunter. The haggard, irritated face of Trent Hunter, Lance Hunter's father, filled the hollow video screen in front of him. Good afternoon, Mr. Hunter. What can I do for you? Gordon sounded a little worried. I called you two weeks ago and you said you didn't know where Lance was. I've since learned that's not true. Hunter spoke slowly, his eyes never leaving Gordon's. You and I are going to have an impromptu meeting soon, and then you'll have some serious explaining to do. Hunter cut the feed, leaving Gordon staring at the clear hollow feed in empty silence. Ten seconds passed before Gordon Sherman slammed his fist on the metal counter of his desk. I'd be lying if I said I'm not excited for how the next part goes, but that is a story for another day. Welcome to Season 3. I hope it kicked off with a bang. I had originally planned to break Season 2 and do more episodes for that, but I'd wanted to update the format for the podcast for a while. Not to mention I was tired of looking at that creepy rooster face on the cover of Season 2. Ugh. Also, it seems like the tenor of the stories within this season picks up considerably. There are some incredible episodes coming your way. I've also wrapped up my audiobook, The Last Necromancer, so go check that out. Listen to the first two chapters on Episode 4 of Season 1 if you need a reason to buy a copy, or you can get it for free with a trial subscription with Audible. Listen, if you like the stories you hear on this podcast, know for a certified fact that these stories wouldn't exist without Audible. I use Audible every day. If I run out of podcasts to listen to, even if I've used my audiobook credit for the month, I'll still go back and listen to some of my favorites. I'm pushing this greedily because I want you guys to listen to my audiobook. I put a lot of time and effort into it, knowing that your time is worth something. If you're going to listen to something, it better be damn good, and that's why it takes me a while to put together some of these episodes. Anyway, for more stories like the ones you'll hear on the podcast, go to audibletrial.com slash apocalypsetheaterpodcast. Link is in the episode description. If you want to get The Last Necromancer for free, check out my website at ekpublishingmedia.com for more information. Thanks everybody, see you next time. The Apocalypse Theater Podcast was produced, directed, written, and voiced by Benjamin Allen. If you'd like to support our podcast, be sure to subscribe, leave a good review, purchase one of my audiobooks from Audible, or check out our donation page on the contacts page of our website. Visit ekpublishingmedia.com for more information. The Apocalypse Theatre Podcast is an EK Publishing Media Production 2020.